This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Jeff Chastain, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on. I am super excited to talk to you because we're going to talk and talk about a topic I'm really passionate about today. Entrepreneurs, because I'm one, you're probably one, and a lot of people who listen to the show are entrepreneurs, and we're going to give them some really tactical information on the during the course of the conversation today. Before we get started, who in the world are you and what do you do? <laughs> right. Well, uh, simply put, I basically help business leaders maintain their sanity. So really... And very parallel with with your uh, practice and your clients here, but I work with uh, the overall business leadership team as a whole. And really, when most people think about growing and scaling a business, they kind of picture this nice, smooth, evolutionary process. But the reality is it typically turns into a combination of evolution and revolution. And I work with the business leaders, their leadership teams, really during these periods of revolution to sit there and adapt the company structure, the company culture, the way they're doing business processes, things like that, really helping them gain clarity back into what's going on in the business and helping them get more of what they want out of the business and move it forward. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me that when you become an entrepreneur, it's not a smooth process? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we always have these rosy dreams going into this, and it just very rarely turns into reality. <laughs> I'm in the in the process right now of finishing an article for Medium, and it's called My Non-Entrepreneur Friends Don't Understand Me. And the gist of the article is when I became an entrepreneur back in July 2005, I thought, man, I got to be a millionaire. That money's going to start coming in. It didn't. <laughs> it was a process. And it took me not days, not weeks, but years because I had jumped in the deep end of the pool, didn't know how to swim. And it was a reality check for me. It really is. And the not to burst anybody's bubble, but the unfortunate part is just as soon as you get it figured out, it's going to change on you again. Because <laughs> starting a business, one, two, three people is completely different than running it at 10 people. It's completely different again at running at 50 kind of people. So it's like this constant reinvention of yourself in terms of a leader, in terms of a business builder kind of a thing. And it's it's kind of amazing that we have as many companies as we do. It's as st stressful as this is. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the things I struggled with is letting go. And so in March yep. of 2020, my wife was furloughed because she worked in the travel industry. And for many months, she just you know tried to find a job and couldn't find a job. And, and we started talking one day. I said, look, why don't you come work with me on the business, because I'm the content creator. I do the interviews. I write the articles, uh, the <laughs> newsletters, and she started picking up the stuff that she's really good at. There's, there's stuff that I need to do for a business, as you can imagine, that I, I suck at, okay, to put it bluntly. And it took me so long to let it go because I kept hearing people like Tony Robbins and, you know, Grant Cardone and Gary Vaynerchuk says, look, you can't build an empire alone. You know, you can't, you need teammates. And, but I was a control freak. And I think every entrepreneur that first starts, they're a control freak because it's their baby. They want to do everything themselves, but they reach a point that go, wait a minute, I, this is not sustainable if I really, really want to grow to the next level. It's unfortunate. And yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you kind of a thing. It's, it, that's always been one of my hardest things is to delegate and set things out, even if it's just a, an outside vendor or something like that. But it's still one of those things that unfortunately, that's what tends to strangle most companies as they grow is that even if the entrepreneurs, because that's even still the entrepreneur is into technologies into medical, he's into whatever it is. And now we're going to go start building a business and putting sales around this and marketing and stuff like that. But even if he can or she can hand off some of those other areas that he's not an expert at, 
even still, the area where they are tending to be an expert tends to be the worst area of the business because, again, they're trying to maintain such a tight hold on even their lane of expertise that it's like, okay, I always, uh, I forget who made the quote or whatever the comment that's saying, okay, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to be hiring people, bringing on your teammates, if nothing else, just to give you another point of view, because reality is none of us have all the answers, even in our own lane right there. We're, we're We're not the rocket scientists, unfortunately, and that's perfectly fine if you've got the ability to really let go of some of that kind of thing. And that's really to me, one of the biggest keys to actually growing and building a business is saying, hey, I can let go. I can bring in and surround myself with other people around me that honestly know more than I do in their areas of expertise. Now, I'm 55 years young, so I grew up and went to school in the 70s and 80s, went to college in the 90s and the 2000s because I did the you know the 25-year plan. And it was drilled into my head, okay, you have strengths and weaknesses. And it was always told to me, focus on your weaknesses. Now... I, I've, I've aligned myself with a lot of really smart people who are really successful. And they say, no, focus on your strengths, outsource the weaknesses. Do you agree with that? To a large degree, yes. Yeah, it's it's really a case of, I, I actually look at it almost as four different quadrants of saying, okay, what am I really good at and I enjoy doing? And that to me, it's a two-part thing because I may be really good at doing something. I may be really technical and yeah, I can handle the details of financial books, but I can't stand doing it kind of a thing. So that's still something that I should hand off. Whereas the other three quadrants are obviously looking at, okay, where am I uh, not good at something, but still I need to do it. I'm capable of doing it kind of a thing. Or where am I not good at something and I really don't enjoy it? Those are the things you really need to get rid of. But to me, it's a combination, though, of what are you skilled at, but what are you enjoy doing? Because if you don't enjoy doing something, you're going to sit there and dread it every day, kind of, hey, I've got to go make sales calls, even though I'm, I'm good at talking to people. I just hate sales. I'm not going to be good at that. The company's not going to do succeed in that area. I need to find somebody else to help with that. So I think it's a little bit more than just what your where your strength is, what you're good at. It's also going to be something you're passionate about too. Mm. Well, the example I always use is spreadsheets. Okay, we need spreadsheets <laughs> in business, but there are people out there. Jeff, who will live, breathe, dream spreadsheets. And they just, if you just say, Hey, could you do a spreadsheet for me? They're like, Oh, it's Christmas morning. And I'm like, So we need the spreadsheet, but I suck at creating spreadsheets. So I go to my wife and say, Look, I need a spreadsheet that does this, this, this. And she knows how to do it. And it frees me from the anxiety. Yep. And it really is. It's that anxiety piece. I was actually listening to a speaker just the other day, professional speaker, big name coach, and everything like that. But he's like, I cannot stand building a PowerPoint. I, it just, <laughs> it creeps me out. I, I just can't handle this kind of thing. So I've got a wonderful assistant. I'd send her a message, say, Hey, I need PowerPoint. Here's the the outline. She sends me back this beautiful PowerPoint and I run with it. It's, it's a great match right there that I love presenting. I just hate building PowerPoints and he's got a, a solution for it to hand off that one area where it's just not his passion for sure. So let's talk about some mistakes that business leaders make, because let's say you create a business and let's say all of a sudden your business takes off and now, okay, let's say you got a small team. It's you and two other people. And now you have to hire a big team. And of course the business is booming. People are buying stuff and it's just, that's, it may sound like a good thing, but the problem is if you're not thinking straight, this is what I want you to dive into. If you're not thinking straight, really easy, the wheels can come off the bus, right? Oh, exactly. And yeah, that's I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of business owners, and it really falls into two camps on the failure side of, hey, 
we couldn't grow, we couldn't scale, we couldn't do what we needed to. And then on the flip side, we actually tried to do it too fast. So it's it's both just as detrimental kind of a thing there. But really, it's to me, it's coming at it from a, a foundational standpoint, hopefully even before you get to that stage of having the big client or the ramp up and sales kind of a thing there. If you can lay that foundation in the first place is, to, okay, how are we going to what, what's our culture? What's our, our structure as an organization? What what processes do we have in place? Things like that. If you can get that foundation in place, then it's much easier to say, hey, we need two or three more people over here in manufacturing and operations. And oh, yeah, by the way, we've already got the processes that they need to follow documented out, written out to where they literally can step in and be uh, productive. Because you look at, and I many, many years ago came out of big corporate and the standard operation there was go hire somebody on. Yeah, go sit next to so-and-so over there and shadow them for three months, learn what they do kind of a thing. And, and you can pick it up right there. That was basically your onboarding or training right yep. there. And we don't have that opportunity or that luxury, if you call it that, in small business. We, we, we got to have somebody jump in and be productive immediately. I mean, we're paying them on a very limited set of resources. We can't afford to sit there and have them spinning their wheels and or taking somebody else that is productive out of their lane for the next two or three months. So really having it uh, documented there in terms of, okay, I, I look at a couple of different things. One to say, okay, what is your role that we've got clear defined KPIs, measurables, expectations, et cetera, to where you know exactly what you're walking into. And then beyond that, what are the processes? What are the pieces where you plug in value into an overall process that is a sales delivery process, or maybe it's a smaller process on just manufacturing these widgets or whatever the case may be. But again, it's got documented proven processes there rather than trying to learn and build and things on the fly, which is where really you get a business into trouble like that. When you just say, hey, we're busy, let's go add 10 more people on the line. And they don't necessarily know what they're doing. All you're doing is increasing your overhead at that point, probably decreasing your quality assurance and just adding more issues right there just by throwing resources at a problem without really understanding the problem or having things set up right to handle it. Just for the benefit of anybody listening to this conversation, KPI means key performance indicators, just to make sure we're clear on that. <laughs> Too much jargon. Sorry. Yes. No No worries whatsoever. So I recently, a couple of days ago, I read something about an app called Olivia. It's supposed to be like a financial planning app. And they are growing so fast in Brazil that they are saying, hey, listen, we're going to temporarily suspend operations of updating our app here in America because we're taking off like gangbusters in Brazil. And that goes along with what you're saying. They recognize, hey, listen, we can't be in America and in Brazil. We we don't have the kind of resources. And so they made the very difficult decision to say, OK, we're going to focus on Brazil right now and then we'll come back to America. And I think that was something that you're talking about, right? It really is. But the, the other side and there's a third component to that. What they're seeing is, okay, they've got the numbers, they've got the metrics to see where their market is. Because a lot of times, a especially a smaller company will say, hey, I've got three or four product lines. Overall, the company's profitable. But what they don't understand or don't know is, okay, product line one is carrying the entire weight and we're wasting a whole bunch of resources on two, three, and four here that if we streamlined, focused on product line one, all of a sudden our revenues could go through the roof just because we knew our numbers, we knew how to act. So in that case you're talking about, they can see, okay, where's our subscriber base coming from? Where's our revenue base coming from? Oh, it's coming from Brazil over here. Therefore, let's put our resources, put our focus in there because that's the more profitable, that's the more desirable 
region right now rather than the Americas region. Hey there, it's Mark, and I will coach you for less than $2 a day, plus give you access to a group coaching call every single month. For more information, visit MrProductivity.com. I remember when Steve Jobs was booted out of Apple and the new management started coming up with all these products. And of course, Steve was a minimalist. And when this, the company almost went out of business, they brought Steve back and he goes, no, we're going to have a couple laptops. We're going to have like, I think they had four products. He says, you can't, that's the problem with Dell and everything else. They have way too many products. And, and that was causing a problem because what you just talked about, about the Olivia app is when you have all these products, okay, well now they're all pulling from the customers. Okay. Some want this, some want this. And that caused the problem. So the first thing Steve did, he got rid of like 90% of the products they created. He goes, let's focus on our core competency. What are we really good at? Let's make these products really super good. And that's one thing I love about Apple. I'm in the Apple ecosystem is you have like a few home pods, you have a few uh, MacBooks, you have, a, a, you know, I think three versions of the iPhone or four versions of the iPhone. You don't have all these versions. You go to Dell's website. It's very dizzying because they have every configuration you want. And I think they've proven there's an author of a book. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, they wrote a book about less is more. It's came back out. I think about the nineties, a book. I can't, I, I, I can see the book in my head. I can't get it in my, out my, my, my mouth. But I think, you know, what I'm talking about the cereal yeah. aisle. You know, when I was growing up, there used to be like 10 cereals. Now there's like 10 rows of cereal, you know, like the whole, the whole supermarket cereal. And the more choices you make, give people, they get confused. So when Steve jobs came back for the second time, he said, no, we're going to pick out these products and we're going to focus on these and forget about the others. It really is a case. And yeah, that's, that's a great example with it because a lot of what I'm working with, a lot of what I work with uh, clients on is saying, okay, what is your vision? That's where we need to start to define, okay, who are you as a company? Where are you going? How are you planning on getting there? Because if you maintain that vision in mind to say, hey, we're going to go be the iPod or we're going to go be the, the iMac right here and actually focus directly on those product lines and not try to be printers and scanners and everything else in the world, which is honestly, where more Dell and those other kind of companies are, if we can truly get laser focused, then at that point, we can start consolidating our resources to say, okay, everybody here is focused. We've got all of our design team focused on one product line or two product lines here, rather than spreading those same resources across 20 different product lines. I heard the the comparison of the story adage a while back that you look at the amount of energy that the sun puts off and we go outside on a sunny day and worst case, we get a sunburn kind of a thing. Versus you take a laser that's just micro fractions of, the, of that energy, and yet you can sit there and cut through diamonds, cut through steel, et cetera. And it's, it's purely about focus that as a small business, we don't have the resources of the sun. We don't have the resources of a Dell or an HP, something like that. We've got to get tight and narrow focus to say, okay, going back to the, the financial company you were talking about, okay, we're going to serve this market. We're going to focus on this market with our limited resources Make sure we're providing the best service, the best quality product, et cetera, to that market in this certain limited area. And I'm not familiar with the platform, but I would suspect they're not trying to go uh, big QuickBooks, big Peachtree kind of enterprise, again, do payroll and do all this kind of financial stuff. They're probably focused on a much smaller picture of the finances there to say, okay, we're going to do what we do really well. We don't have to be the end all everything to everybody. If we can do what we do really well, then honestly, you're going to make more money at that point. And once you start getting that built out well, then you can start widening that lane a little bit in a productive and a scalable and a predictable manner rather than sitting there trying to 
shotgun approach, take on the entire world and not do any of it well. And as you're saying that, what I, what I started thinking about is social media. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs are have small teams generally, and they're trying to be a Gary Vaynerchuk. They're trying to be everywhere. Now, Gary's got a team. And so someone like me, I, I'm like, okay, where's my audience? Or in Seth, uh, Seth Golden's uh, terminology, where's my tribe? And for me, it's on my podcast, it's on LinkedIn, and it's on Medium. So while I do dabble in Facebook and Instagram and other platforms, my tribe's not really there. And because like everyone else on this planet, I have 24 hours in a day, I've got to figure out, Okay, where do I spend my time? And so I sat down one day. I'm like, okay, where are the people that I want to get into my pipeline? Uh, that's Kajabi uh, terminology or click funnels. You can say funnels. Where are those people? And if they're not on Facebook, then don't be on Facebook. If they're not on Instagram, don't be on Instagram. Don't be everywhere because you see the big guys everywhere because they have lots and lots and lots of money. And so for me, I just sat down and said, okay, where should I be? Where's my customers? Where are my prospects? And for me, it was, like I said, the podcast, LinkedIn, and Medium. That's for me. Now, yours probably totally different. Is that something you deal with when you get with the entrepreneurial business leaders? Oh, yeah. And it's, it's really just the same thing because we've got to define, okay, what is in the, in the category of who you are kind of a thing, you've got to define, okay, who exactly are we targeting? What's our market here? What's our message? And even beyond that, we want to make sure that message gets conveyed to the entire team. Because if you look at a company, especially a small 10, 15, 20 kind of person company, effectively, you've got 20 people on your frontline sales because those people, your staff knows their next door neighbor. They maybe one of these days, again, they'll go to the grocery store and actually talk to somebody <laughs> there in the line or whatever. But you want them having that same message, that same talking points there. So again, it's it's going back to exactly what you're saying. We want to make sure that's as tight and focused and, and conveyed to the entire team as possible to say, okay, who are you as an organization? Do you have... And a lot of people say, well, I've got a vision statement. Or I've got a mission statement. It's like, that's one little sentence up on the About Us page of your website that nobody's <laughs> seen in 20 years kind of a thing there. Right. Your, your vision has got to convey more than that. It's got to almost energize your entire team to say, okay, why are we a part of this? Because we're going to go out and change the world. We're going to go save the environment. We're going to do whatever better as a company while focusing on our niche. We're, we're going to go save the world by focusing on a green friendly grocery delivery service, whatever the case may be kind of a thing there. But you've got to have that tighter vision that says, okay, we're not building a grocery delivery service for the world. We're our, our focus here, our niche is to be organic. It's going to be environmentally friendly delivery. It's going to be whatever that case may be. And you're narrowing that down to focus on, okay, what are those type of people? And therefore, how can we have the right message that resonates with them? How can we focus directly on them? Again, rather than trying to be the end all everything grocery service and go compete against Walmart or whoever the, the big name players are out there in the world, we can actually be very successful and much more profitable by focusing just on that green, organic, et cetera, market right there, a much smaller market, but delivering a service, honestly, that the bigger guys simply don't focus on or don't deliver well, but by focusing small there, we can actually be a lot more successful. One of the benefits of being a subscriber to my email newsletter is you get access to free weekly training from me. To sign up for my email newsletter, just go to mrproductivity.com. I'm currently reading Blue Ocean Strategy. I finally got around to reading that. And the book is phenomenal because what the book talks about is most people come into a business and they do what everyone else does in that, that lane. 
And what Blue Ocean Strategy does, they use the example of Cirque du Soleil. You know, they look at the circus and they go, okay, we're a circus, but we don't want to be like Barnum and Bailey's circus. We want to be totally different. And so they mapped it out intentionally. They had the vision to say, okay, how can we be different but still be a circus? And I think people need to do that. I don't care how, how big or small your business is. You need to figure out why are you different? What is different about you than anyone else who does it? Because let's face it, there's a lot of productivity experts out there. Why should they come to me? What do I offer that's different? And I think a lot of people look at like, well, everyone else in my industry does this. So I'm going to fall right along with them. Well, then what you're doing is you're competing with them. They've got the experience. They've been around longer than you. Instead of going, okay, what makes us different? So I encourage people to pick up the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, not a sponsor of the show, but because it's really going to force you to think. How are you different? Because let's face it, Jeff, you and I have talked about this already in the show. If you're just like everyone else, you're just among all the other people out there. You're not standing out. Yeah, no, it really is. And that's actually one of the, one of the components that I look at with the vision side is to say, okay, what is a, a set of unique values that define you and your company right there? What makes you unique from the competition? Because Honestly, when you're sitting down with a prospect or when you're messaging with them on, on LinkedIn or whatever, doing your advertising, you've got to set that differentiator right there to say, hey, how are we bit different from the other established players, the other bigger guys in the, in the market kind of a thing? So even going back to the grocery market kind of a thing, it's like, OK, our unique differentiator is we are focused entirely on organic produce. We're focused entirely on green delivery systems, whatever it is right there that allows me as the consumer sitting there looking at your website, looking at your LinkedIn profile, listening to your podcast. What are you drilling into my head that says, hey, I need to be focused on you differently than somebody else, even though it's still the bigger grocery delivery market. I'm sitting here saying, wait a minute, I'm interested in green environment. I'm interested in organic. So therefore, I'm drawn to you over Walmart, even though Walmart may have lower prices or whatever else, I'm drawn to you because I identify with those unique aspects. And the reality is, and this is what's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs is, yes, you're going to turn away people. There's going to be people that are simply interested in the lower price. So there's going to be people that are not interested in organic foods or whatever kind of a thing, but that's okay. If you can focus in on that small market, you're going to be much more likely to get those people that are interested in organic foods here than trying to, again, be the everything and capture the entire market with just such a, a bland message that honestly nobody picks up on it and they're all shopping on price at that point. Mm. Looking at the business landscape today, January 28th, 2021, what makes you cringe when you see it or hear it? Honestly, the my passion just being from the entrepreneur side and I've, I've started run a couple of businesses myself in the past and run into this. There's a statistical trend, honestly, where you've got the entrepreneurs that have started the business and we all know the, the statistics around failure rate, et cetera, in early days. But then there's a second pattern that starts happening typically around seven years where we start seeing those businesses fail again. And they're failing, honestly, because of the, the revolutionary kind of stage that I was talking about before is all of a sudden they basically hit a ceiling and say, hey, I can't move this business forward. The, 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 the things we used to be doing, the things we did to get to this point are no longer working. And the passion's gone out of it for those entrepreneurial business leaders. And that's what I really hate to see because they'll sit there and bail out of that company and say, I'm going to go start something new. When in reality, the startup phase is just we glorify it, but it's just pure survival is all that it is to it. It's like, why would you want to go back to that? Let's <laughs> let's figure out how to make the management changes, how to make the structural changes, the foundational changes to where you can take your current dream 
and break through that ceiling, go to the next level. And to me, that's that's my passion. And that's what I, I hate to see really most with those those business failures at that point, because the vast majority of them are completely fixable, completely solvable. But many times that entrepreneur is just laser focused right there in front of them and has their blinders on to anything, any other possible answers, any other possible changes. It's the, I forget who made the quote. It was like some rear admiral, uh, Grace Harper or something that said, basically the, the worst phrase in the English language is we've always done it that way. And that's really, that suffocates businesses saying that, hey, this is the way we always do things. And it, it works for that evolutionary period of saying, hey, one more client or one more employee, it works for a period. But at some point, you're going to hit that line, hit that wall to where it simply doesn't work anymore. And that's the revolutionary stage where it's like, OK, we have to do some things differently. We have to make some changes here in order to break through that wall, break through that ceiling and be able to move it forward. And it's unfortunate seeing so many hit that wall, hit that ceiling and just either completely stagnate the business or flat out quit at that point and say, hey, we're going to go do something else. This didn't work when there was still so much potential there available. Well, Jeff, you gave us a lot to think about on the show today. Before we wrap up, I do this thing called Mic Swap, where I allow you to be the temporary host of the Mark Struchowski podcast. Now, you don't have to say Struchowski, so I want to relieve yeah. you of that burden right now. Uh, don't ask me credit card numbers or social security numbers, uh, but this is allow this allows my listener an opportunity to, to learn a little bit about me. So you can ask me any question you want, productivity, sports. Don't ask me about news, politics. I, I don't dabble in that stuff. But it's I have no idea what you're going to ask me, so go. You are the host. All right, we can do that. So actually, almost just extend the current discussion where we were talking before. So in your dealings with individuals, so you're coaching more individual people, why do you see that leaders really kind of struggle to recognize that changes are necessary in themselves or in their environment around them? I think it has a combination of fear and not knowing how. So instead of reaching out, to a coach or going to Mr. Google and asking, how do I solve this problem? They're thinking they have to do it all themselves. Um, nobody builds anything themselves. And one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years as an entrepreneur is all the experts, whether you're looking at a Gary Vaynerchuk or Brendan Burchard or Tony Robbins, they look at themselves as students first. Okay. Any great leaders, a student first. And when people come to me and they're like, Oh, I can't figure this stuff out. I'm like, who's helping you? Well, nobody. You don't have a coach. You don't know nothing. I'm trying to do it my own. I'm like, well, that's a problem because you need to have a team. It could be your spouse. It could be your adult children. It could be your neighbor, but you have to have someone to bounce ideas off of. And I think people are trying to do too much and they have a fear of failure. Well, you're going to fail if you don't reach out and say, Hey, listen, I'm stuck because if you don't tell people, they're going to think, Oh, you look happy. You're dressing nice. You got a nice car. I guess everything's going well, but meanwhile, you're collapsing inside. So that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, no, and it makes perfect sense. And it's, it's fun because I'm, I, I work with students and stuff at, at school doing uh, actually technology, robotics and stuff like that. But it's always sitting there telling them, Hey, just because you're in K through 12 right now, you think you're going to graduate at 12 and be done learning? It's like, no, this is, <laughs> this is just the start. The whole point here. Yeah. You're never going to use whatever biology class you're in. If you're not going to go that direction, you're not going to use that. The point is sitting here teaching you how to learn because once you get out of 12 or once you get out of eh, these days, college still, but once you get out of that, now the onus is on you to keep learning and keep pushing yourself. There's not going to be a teacher sitting there grading you on how long you're learning. This is just a process to keep learning. And it's 
like you were saying, re- referring to all the different books, I'm, I'm constantly reading, constantly looking at other resources there because there's there's tons out there that honestly, I'll, I'll never learn at all kind of a thing. But that's one of those keys yeah. that, OK, this is really a constant learning. And honestly, one of the biggest reasons I even got into my practice, and I assume probably you did as well, is that while out there reading all the books and, and looking at the, the big name players out there, there's a lot of information out there and it can almost be paralysis at that point to say, okay, what do I do with all this information? Yep. Can, can I need somebody that's next to me, close to me from a coaching standpoint that can boil it down and say, okay, let me do a, an outside perspective diagnosis on where the issues are, where the problems are, and let's build a plan based upon who knows how many different systems or how many tools out there that they've got that outside expertise to bring it and marry it with what you're going through right now. And yeah, that's, that's one of those that I, I see quite a bit is like, okay, learning's great, but you got to, that outside help, that outside coaching is, is makes a huge difference at that point. hundred percent. So what's another question you have for me, sir? Oh, wow. You're going to keep going here. No, you get so, two, um, you get two questions. <laughs> okay. So, um, let me see. How, how do we take this? So, Tell me what uh, what makes a great leader in your mind. What what especially look looking at primarily at business, but still, what's what's the aspects that? And we may have already kind of covered this, but what what do you look at from a describing a great leader or the the, the traits of people that typically succeed more than others? Uh, two things. This is a real easy question for me. Is a good listener. I mean, not just hearing the words, you're actually listening to not only your team, but the customers. And the second thing is, is being open-minded, realizing that you may have had an idea, but maybe it wasn't the greatest idea. And so other people, because you're listening and you're open for feedback, someone says, well, listen, you, you want to do ABC, but I think uh, BCD is better. And it's just a little tweak. So I think if you listen, actively listen to people and you have an open mind, I think those are the two biggest traits I look for people because once you have a closed mind, it's your way or the highway. And I'm like, why am I going to help you? Because now you don't want to listen to what I have to say. So that's those how I would answer. How would you answer that question? Oh, no, I think you're really right in the line because I was reading, uh, I forget which book it was the other day, but it was talking about uh, the term of a manager, the concept of a manager. And it's like, okay, once you really hit that that middle level, middle tier, management's really a bad name for it, that it almost should be coach at that yes. point because you should be stepping back and saying, okay, I'm, I'm here to teach you. I'm here to help facilitate your job as one of my direct reports to do your job better. So I've got to listen and understand, okay, where are your issues? Where are your struggles? Where are your ideas, hopefully, that we can turn around and put back into that business? But I'm not here to manage you. I'm not here to the micromanage term is where it comes in kind of a thing. I'm not here. Yeah, I'm not here to babysit you kind of a thing. That is, you're, we're expecting you to have expertise. Hopefully, we hired an A player in the first place, but we're here to, to have your expertise. And I'm sitting here simply to guide and to coordinate with other people to sit here and make sure we've got everybody together. But I'm not here to make all the decisions. I'm not here to sit there and tell you exactly how to do your job. Hopefully, you've got the expertise to do that. But yeah, it, a lot of it comes down to communication, both listening as well as making sure that, okay, does everybody understand the big picture. So I think it's, it's communication on both sides as to incoming from a listening standpoint, as well as outgoing from, okay, communicating in a way that everybody can understand. Everybody can see the bigger picture. Everybody can see that, Hey, I'm actually part of something bigger here than just myself. I love that. Well, the final question I have for you, Jeff, is where can we go find out more about you and what you do? Sure. No problem. So all my practice is through admentus.com and it's A-D-M-E-N-T-U-S.com or 
Feel free to look me up LinkedIn primarily there for the business side, but any of the social media accounts. And then we've actually got another podcast here that launched the, the beginning of the year is uh, Building to Scale, talking to entrepreneurs that have scaled and are are continuing to scale their businesses there. So if you're at that stage looking for some lessons learned, some tips there, then love to have you over there as well. Excellent. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your insights today. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you having you on the show. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Enjoyed it. Hey, 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 don't leave this episode yet. I have a very important announcement for you. I want you to go to mrproductivity.com right now and get the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs absolutely for free. It's my gift to you. And while you're at mrproductivity.com, I want you to click on the tab that talks about my digital productivity coaching program. I call it DPC. This program is incredible and I'm super excited about it because one, via a dedicated app, you get daily, yes, daily coaching and accountability prompts from me and the ability to ask me questions, short questions in the app. You get a live group coaching call every single, well, month with me. Third, you get access to a DPC members only community online and it's not a Facebook group. And fourth, you get replays of all the group coaching calls and my Saturday morning trainings. Now, my Saturday morning trainings are free, but there's no replay. But DPC members get access to the training to the replays part of their membership. Now, what's this cost you? You may think thousands of dollars. No, it's $49 a month. That's less than $2 a day. So check out the digital productivity coaching program and grab the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs at my website, mrproductivity.com.